Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. Welcome to episode 132. And today we're going to talk about Occam's Razor. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds pretty cool. It sounds like Star Trek stuff. Yeah. Occam's Razor is a principle that says the uh, least extraordinary explanation is probably the right one. Yeah. And uh, we're not exactly going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the... The things in in the world, the principles, the things in the world that are obvious. Yeah. And that um, when we get crazy, when we make stupid decisions and come up with complicated, really stupid solutions to pro- complex problems, typically we are ignoring the obvious. Yeah. Alcom's razor would be like you come outside one day and, and your sunshade, your big umbrella on the porch is knocked over. And you think, who knocked over my umbrella? Occam's Razor would say it's probably the wind. Probably yeah. the wind knocked over your umbrella. Yeah, that's that's the most the obvious. least spectacular yeah. solution yeah. is probably the right one. Also, doctors rely on that. If you have a few symptoms, it could be this extremely rare disease that's going to kill you in twenty four hours. But typically, <laughs> it's a headache and a cold, or you know, <laughs> yeah. So they say, you know, don't don't reach for the extraordinary answers when there's a plain one right in front of you. And the uh, I always call them. It's hypochondria, isn't it? When you think you're sick yes. all the time, I yeah. always say mitochondria. <laughs> mitochondria. I wonder what that it's is. It's a part a part of a cell. Uh, uh, like, oh, yeah. Anyway, they might they might forego Occam's razor and say, "Well, it's probably this it's extreme mitochondria." Rare. Yeah, it's <laughs> mitochondria killing me from the inside. <laughs> anyway, uh, this is going to make a whole lot more sense in just a minute. So just take our word for it. And I think you're going to find this to be a both a compelling conversation. But what we really want to accomplish today is to have a principle that will guide you into navigating your own way through complicated questions. Mm -hmm. And I find this to be a really insightful tool. Uh, It will also, um, I think, uh, give you wisdom on when to get up and leave a conversation because the obvious truths are being suppressed. Mm. So this is going to be a great tool. This is not to beat each other up with. It's not to judge other people by. It is a chance for us to think clearly through very complicated um, issues in our world. We've so, talked a, a lot about navigational tools. I'd call this a navigational it's tool. It's a navigational tool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. All right. Before that, John, it's jo- it's Joker story time. What do you got for us? Uh, I've got two smaller stories. One is funny. I don't know if I'd call it a joke because it's a small story. And it's true. And it's true. Yeah. Jokes are not always true. You, That's I would true. Think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, but they're both, it's so short, I figured I'd, I'd give you two. Two for okay. one. All right. So, I'm uh, on the edge of my seat. I know. If you've seen, literally, folks, he's he's on the edge <laughs> of his seat. Uh, if you have seen a movie in a movie theater in the past, I'm going to say seven years, you've probably seen the same commercial, at least the AMC. Uh, and I think it's- Is that Front Row Joe? No, it's the M&M's I commercial. Front, I love Front Row Joe. M&M's commercial, and they're in an action movie, oh, and then yeah. the phone goes off, yeah. and they're like, really? Yeah. It might have been a decade. They're, long, they're strapped to some kind of to bomb. a rocket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you, you, this has been going forever. Yeah. So, me and Lindsay are in the movie theater, and there's a scene where uh, the red M M&M and M is standing on an interrogation table, and there's a lamp. Oh yeah. And he says, "What do you think? I'm, I'm an, an idiot? idiot." And he smacks yeah. the lamp. It spins full circle and hits him back in the head, and he face plants on the desk. And this, you know, I, I can, you've seen it a hundred times. A hundred times. Yeah. And so he does that. 
he smacks the lamp, hits him back to the head, and I hear someone t- two rows behind me and all the way to the left go. <gasps> <laughs> people haven't been in the movies in two years so either you know. either that or it was totally a coincidence they were gasping at something else but just the, they spilled something in their lap at the same moment yeah but yeah. i couldn't stop laughing that is that hilarious eminem hit himself the lamp <laughs> just really surprised somebody after a decade right uh the other was this one's kind of like a gadget show and tell but i can't show it to anybody because I saw it on the road. It was, we were driving late at night, maybe like 10.30 or 11 on the freeway. And we saw a semi-truck with a built-in lit up, like LED screen billboard in the door. One of the doors on the back. Mm. I was floored. I don't know why. You've not I, seen that before? Never before in my entire life. <gasps> I know. I was. Ex- <laughs> Have you actually? <laughs> yeah. I, I've been in the car with you for so many hours. Well, I see them. Truckers are on the road. I see those when I do road trips all the way to Colorado to move your little sister or, you know. I don't I've done see a lot them, of road trips. I don't see them right there on I-5 very often a in lot, town. I don't know because to me, like, I, the first time I saw it, I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And screens on a car is not advanced, right? That's not Jetson's flying future stuff. Right. That's, that's You could put a screen on a car 40 years ago. Sure. Yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so it's not, I don't know why it's that weird to me, but it it felt like such a Blade Runner moment. Like well, I was like, and what it seems like a very not cost effective way to do things. Exactly. And it was, it was, uh, it was rotating messages. It wasn't that big of a screen. You're right that I couldn't believe that it would be worth it to do that. Right. But I was so intrigued. I slowed down and stayed behind this truck for probably checked half out the way the home. Yeah, check mission out. accomplished. <laughs> exactly. I was thinking, like, I wonder if they could put movies or TV shows on this thing and <laughs> get in trouble for yeah. you know causing accidents, or whatever. Anyway, that one was going to be its own, but I, I wasn't able to take a picture. And apparently, you guys have probably seen hundreds of those. Well. So. Maybe just the advanced ones of us. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, those are my two. Okay, stories. I haven't seen hundreds of them, but I've seen tens of them. Tens. Yeah. Well, it was. That's the thing. I was like, well, if there's only, there's no way there's only one, and I do a decent amount of driving. So how yeah. could I have only seen one? Yeah. Good question. Know. Third mini story. When I was driving, first driving is probably three years into to, to uh, me being a licensed driver. Licensed driver means you were 21 because you did wait till you were 18 to get your I license. Did. Yeah. So. I've n- I had never seen a semi truck in the fast lane of a freeway when there were three lanes. Oh, uh, there were. It's rare. It's rare, and it was so much, so much so that I started to believe it was illegal. Uh-huh. That because they just could not be in the in the the passing lane. Did you call the cops? No, but one day it was so funny. I was going back to Northwest after like a weekend, or maybe I was coming home on a a Friday or something, and I see seven, eight, maybe twelve, uh, uh, trucks. In the left lane. In the fast lane. So this is a funny story for me because it's how your brain's logic, it's kind of Occam's razor in a way, mm-hmm. of how you just, you'll go to insane lengths. Like, to, so, to explain it, this. And they make sense to you at the time. So I was thinking, I wonder if it's a national holiday where trucks can now be in the passing lane <laughs> on this day alone. Because I had never seen it. It's National Truck Fast Lane Day. Yeah. So, like, that's the most bizarro. That's some, like, fever dream. You're half awake and you have, like, an yeah. idea that sounds good. It was right. very funny. Right. And then later, I was like, "Well, obviously not. Nothing's nothing is illegal all but one day. It's not the purge. <laughs> you know, that's ridiculous." <laughs> so, it is funny how our brains can operate with something like that 
and it doesn't seem totally bizarre when you first think exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that's three mini stories now. You guys are welcome. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> All right. Uh, what got this conversation going for me, John, was uh, reading Romans chapter one, which you and I are in this discipleship group, and Romans is the current book we're going through. Yeah. And um, I was, I, I love the book of Romans, and I love chapter one mm. in particular. And I love this section that we're going to look at for a second. Uh, but but it just hadn't hit me the way it hit me this time. Sure. So let me read a portion of it to you. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness since because mm-hmm. what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Mm. So what jumped out at me from that verse is that God has made uh, what can be known about him, obvious. Hmm. It's plain. You could argue, for example, creation. You know, the heavens declare the glories of God. There's a there's an ontological argument for God that if a man in a undeveloped part of the world is walking on the beach and he finds a watch and they have no technology, no, you know, whatever. Yeah. He would pick up the watch and if he opened it up and saw the little wheels and spinners and things, he would assume Someone made the watch. There's a watchmaker. Yeah. And we have a creation that is so complicated, so intricate, so amazing. It's like, duh, there is a creator. Yeah. Slime plus time equals this kind of complexity. You've got to believe. You've got to have the most amazing faith in the world to believe that. So uh, it's an obvious thing. He's made it plain. The only way that's not plain to you is if you suppress it. Hmm. This is what captivated my mind thinking about this. So I started thinking about all the ways that our culture takes something that's plain and obvious and makes it not plain and obvious. And the only way they can do it is by suppressing what is obvious. Yeah. So as you navigate life, this is where it's a navigation tool. If you start to believe something like there's one day of the year, you can break the laws. <laughs> <laughs> if you start to believe something like that, you wait, you wait a second. And you realize that's it's plain to me that's not a thing they do. Yeah. And so there are enough principles that are plainly obvious that um, when you enter into complicated thinking about human sexuality, about how you handle poverty, about border crises, about all kinds of things, about abortion, about man. Uh, a, a wide array of problems. interpersonal problems. Oh uh, yeah, uh, family conflict. Uh, yeah, yeah, anything that if you if you if you have to have a plain obvious thing suppressed to get to this logic, then back up. Or almost, I almost think of it like uh, if it seems overly complicated, and if you're if you can't find a way out, there might be a suppressed truth somewhere that you haven't seen yet yeah. or noticed yet. Yeah, I think uh, with me because I love puzzles so much and i love uh uh problem solving to an extent like kind of fun uh no stakes problem solving mm-hmm. i get sometimes i'll get an example this is not a true example but something like this where basically i think oh i need i need something sharp so if i go uh and i have a stick if i go buy a knife i can sharpen the stick <laughs> and, and, use, and the use the stick, the for stick. The sharp thing. exactly when it's like yeah. well really you just just use the knife yeah and that happens a lot with with puzzles and things like that mm-hmm. so I, I think of like that obviously uh writ large with yeah. with big complicated problems where you get so deep into something, especially people who, you know, uh, are actually in charge of these things in policy. This is, you know, they live their their whole ten hour days neck deep in 
budget reports and mm-hmm. and you know uh, itineraries and and at a, at a certain point you got to wonder if you just can't see the forest for the trees anymore at that point right and you you go through situations where you're ignoring something that really should be obvious to you right and for example the human body you know when you look at i mean how complicated and complex the brain um you just got you look at that and you go random really well and for me it's it's even like um the concept of nothingness and then something somethingness (laughs) not just somethingness (laughs) highly complicated something yeah and so of all kinds of species, varieties, and complexities. Right. And so this a hypothesis that relies on a a form of the universe that we can't even <laughs> begin to comprehend. You know, because think of like, in my, I think in everyone's head, you think of blackness. No, yeah. that's not true. Because blackness is somethingness. Yeah. The space is black. It's the lack of anything. We can't actually. We can't even conceive it. Can't even conceive it. But it's easier for some people to conceive of a of a reality we can't conceive of than conceive of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so that again, this, this sounds a little bit like criticism and what we're not trying to do is arm you to argue with everyone. Yeah. What we're trying to arm us to do is to think through complicated issues by not allowing an obvious thing to be suppressed. Sure. For sure. And in Romans one, man, the disaster of suppressing the truth, it just, it lays it out. Consequence, 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 and it describes our world to a T. Yeah. That this is what happens when you suppress the truth. And it's because, yeah, we're de- we don't want, this is not supposed to be weaponized. This is more self-defense than anything Perfect. as far as yeah. perception. And really, to me, because I've talked before about, um, you know, how how much I think about the, you know, the deception of man's heart and how uh, none can know it. And then, you know, pairing that with scripture about the word of God, yeah. sharp enough to separate uh, bone from thoughts arrow. and intentions, yeah. yeah. So to me, this is just the what's actually at play in the impossibly deceptive human heart. Because people who, um, the people who's ta- who Paul is talking to, he is being aggressive. He's talking about wickedness and, and the punishment of God mm-hmm. and that suppression. And I think even in those cases, oftentimes it is not intentional suppression. It is just your your wretched heart. Except that you go back to the beginning space, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, because we build things on top of things, and he goes back to the fundamental thing you can know. You can just look at creation around you and know, holy cow, there's a God, mm. and you can know enough about that God, His divine nature, and that He's His authority. So we all have a starting place of obvious reality by simply looking around us and to say, no, there's not a God or there's not a God like that. You have to start playing with things to convince yourself or to persuade when this thing is obvious. You're explaining away something that is obvious. Yeah. And then what I've seen uh, lately, it's probably been longer than than lately. But this, and it smacks of kind of the new age kind of thing, is the reference to the universe as some entity, but without commitment. There's no commitment there. You can right. just say, well, maybe the universe is showing me a sign. Yes. And it's like you get all the benefits of some kind of organized structural creation. There's no chaos. But you're still the hero. You're still the hero. You're and the center of the story. You don't have to, yeah, there's nothing. You don't have no to pick a obligation, sign. You don't no obligation. Yep, no yeah. oughtness. Yeah. No, no high demand on you. And then, but then you would say, well, wouldn't. You know, a a sentient thing that created everything. Wouldn't they talk to you? And it's a, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. And 
if I get the house I wanted, that could be the universe. But if I get T-boned and my dog dies, that's not the universe. No, that's no. that's something else. Yeah. So uh, I want to give some examples of this to put some skin on it because I think yeah, please. that will help us to get uh, ways that this could help us. Sure. So a couple of things that just come to the top of my mind. Um, in our culture, a middle school girl cannot take an aspirin at school without parental consent and a note and whatever Mm. but she can go find birth control she could even have an abortion with no obligation for her parents to ever find out Mm. and um, what this does is it ignores the obvious responsibility that a parent has for their children that it is parental authority is an obvious part of nature parental responsibility So the argument is, well, lots of parents abdicate their responsibility. Lots of parents not only don't provide for their kid, they rape their kid. Uh, You know, they molest their kid. Yes. And so we need to address those problems. But we don't address them by violating something obvious like parental authority and the responsibility of parents. So what do we do? We we build better parents. (laughs) Yeah. We don't we don't remove authority from all parents to solve that problem. But in, so in a situation with the the school, right, I I thought about this in the beginning of the, the COVID things is you have the people in in those realms of authority. If if a person has authority in the school and they see this problem in the school, they don't have the authority to change the parent. They only have authority to change the school. So then wouldn't it be on them their their obvious thing to say, well, we can do this to help. Mm-hmm. You know, what would you say to that? Well, I would say that. Uh, they can help without ever undermining, superseding, mm. or ignoring parental authority. So they would have to use their solutions that also include parental authority. Because it is the obvious nature of creation that parents that, are responsible for that, their children. Yeah, the person who bore that child is responsible for them, and they need to be held accountable to, to bear that responsibility. So you could uh, think of ways to um, apply pressure for that parent to take their responsibility or to be held accountable for their neglect, but to remove all parental authority is not an, is not a good solution. Sure, sure. So um, that's just you know kind of one idea, example, yeah. uh, uh, an example. Um, another one that's always fascinating me with our laws: if a man uh, punches a pregnant woman in the stomach and the child in her womb dies, mm-hmm. he can be tried for murder for the murder of that child. But if you choose to abort the child, it's not a child; it's a fetus, and so we have a lot of uh, a lot of round robin um, kind of confusion about what is a child. What when is that thing in your womb a child? And it's truly the intent of the mother determines whether that's a human being or whether it's a fetus. Right. And sometimes it's a human. Sometimes it's not. As far as the laws are concerned. Yeah. yeah. So uh, pick a side. You know, what is the obvious nature of this? I mean, the thing has eyes, mouths, uh, nose. It sucks its thumb. It has its it own feels pain. individual DNA. It has its own DNA. That's a person. Yeah. So let's solve all these complicated problems, but let's not solve them by suppressing the truth that that is a person. Hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. So then if we're talking about this as, again, more self-defense than than offense, what are some examples of a person, um, you know, lost in some of these details? So with these, with the examples we're giving now, uh, that's kind of like top down, right? That's authority down. Mm-hmm. What are some examples that someone might find themselves in 
in their own world, you know, from the bottom up. Well, <clears throat> you can take uh, poverty um, and trying to help solve poverty mm-hmm. issues. Mm-hmm. So, um, so this would be the obvious reality of personal responsibility. We know that human beings should take responsibility for themselves and that people who do that really well get rewarded and people who do that poorly don't win. Sure. And so um, the, the, the idea of personal responsibility is pivotal to human success and flourishing. So when you remove personal responsibility, you sabotage the dignity and the flourishing of a human being. Mm. So this happens when we have political answers to poverty issues, homelessness. Um, we're not going to enforce a law on a homeless person that we would enforce on a non-homeless person. We're not going to require anything from a, a human being that requires them to take responsibility. And we call that kindness. And when actually that's not kindness because personal responsibility is a pivotal part of human dignity. Mm. So that's how we do that politically. But we also do that in our own relationships. When a parent has a rebellious teenager, if they keep rescuing that teenager from personal responsibility, they're sabotaging the dignity of that person and the likelihood that they'll ever become a mature, responsible person because they're not having to hold responsibility. Totally. So when you think of what do I do with my kid? Well, if I'm going to violate personal responsibility, bad idea. Don't do that because that's obvious. That's plain to us. Yeah. And so these principles help you think of solutions to complicated problems. They more help you eliminate bad solutions than they help you pick the right one. I see. So it's almost you're knocking down. Well, that's that's not obvious. That's not obvious until you get to the kind of the the one that lines up. Yeah. Um, If a woman is married to a man who's battling addiction and she keeps covering for him when the boss calls. Yeah, he's sick today. Mm. Um, Oh, he no showed. Yeah, he had a flat tire on the way to work. She's lying for him. Yeah, Uh, this is never going to go anywhere. Good. You're not going to help him find his way to health by doing that. Why? Because it's obvious that people need to take responsibility for their behaviors. And there's no needs wise in his his subconscious survival based mind. There's nothing wrong, bad happening to him when he continues his behavior. Right. He's not never he's never in trouble for it. And his own deception. If he if she told the truth and he got fired, he would say to her, you got me fired. Mm. So he's still not seeing the truth. Uh, but you living, joining him in the crazy world right. never helps him. Right. Yeah. So I think I find this to be really helpful because uh, you have to take action to suppress the truth. So um, the problem is we're so innately natural at this. We do it all the time uh, to justify our own behaviors. Um, I know that if I ate a Dairy Queen blizzard three nights a week, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to gain weight. That's the truth. You can't do that. You know, it's yeah. like the city slickers. Yeah, line. Yeah. The man ate bacon at every meal. You can't do that. <laughs> uh, that's obvious. You can't eat like that. Right. And have a healthy body. But we try to suppress that and think, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. I can whatever. So uh, suppressing truth is a very human, natural instinct to rationalize what we want to justify the decision we're about to make. Sure. People cheat on their spouses this way all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people take money from their employer. We do all kinds of things that we justify by suppressing the truth. That makes me think, I don't know how much of a tangent this is, but it feels to me very uh, accurate how much uh, um, pain overrides a lot of these logical responses. So the uh, uh, the guy who, who leaves his wife for another woman uh oftentimes there would he might feel 
uh, neglected. I'm in a dead end marriage, man. My needs are not being met. I am unhappy. She's unhappy. Ain't nobody winning here. So the logic of, Hey, that one over there is not going to go any better for you. Yeah. Cause the problem is, is right at home. The only bummer about you leaving is wherever you go, there you are. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, but the, the suppression there is the pain is, is the pain. The pain inspires you to, to suppress, to lie to yourself because yeah, it brings all of the, uh, uh, it makes you a victim and you think, well, if I'm the victim, you know, there's no way the problem could be me. Yeah. And this is an interesting thing, John, because, um, being a pastor for 37 years, I have had, you know, dozens and dozens of married people talk to me about how miserable they are in their marriage Hmm. and start to justify leaving. Right. And I can tell there's a certain framework a person will use in describing why they're leaving. That is red flag for you already have another person. Hmm. And, uh, I mean, I have, it has never been wrong. Wow. And I'll say, you got another person, don't you? No, no, absolutely not. And it comes out later. Yeah, they had another person. They already had them. They were already dating them. They already had them picked out. What's the framework? Uh, it is things like, uh, I never should have married them. I've never been happy. They start mm. recreating history right. and saying this was never good. Well, that's simply that's not, not accurate. No. Yeah. And so when they start doing things like that, I start fishing for, okay. Um, and And you can, a lot of it is... Um, the gymnastics they're going through to uh, to legitimize and even there's no way God would want me to stay in this mm. to again suppress the obvious <laughs> yes to that that God yeah. in the flesh and here's said the thing you can't do that. <laughs> here's the thing not every marriage should stay marriage mm. so I'm not saying to leave a marriage you have to suppress the truth I'm saying to leave marriage poorly. Mm. You have to suppress the truth Sure, to be a dishonest person to your spouse, to not tell the truth and lay the cards on the table and, and walk out with integrity and treat that person with dignity and walk in truth to not do that. You have to suppress the truth. Gotcha. And we do it all the time for pain avoidance and for a more rapid path to our pain relief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, do our little um, show and tell thing. Yeah, for sure. You are up this week. Do you have a show and tell or a media review? Or? I have a media review. Okay. And what I'm going to do, which this may be dumb for any podcaster to do, I'm going to recommend another podcast. Oh, uh, that's all right. Yeah. So I have a, well, I, there's many hours in the week. We yeah. only have to take up one of them. Yeah. I have a, a friend I would call a good friend. I heard her say uh, about me in front of me to another person that I was like dad to her. Wow. And that was a gut punch because um, I would consider us more peer than parent. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> age-wise? Yeah, it just made me realize, <laughs> dang, I'm old. Uh, but it's my friend, uh, my my um, spiritual daughter, yeah, uh, Angie Fry. Oh, she, okay. Uh, she started a ministry to parents who have uh, kids in the juvenile justice system. Mm. And she started an organization called Pathways to Hope Network. And now she's got a, a podcast out. And the podcast is called Unyielding. And so here's what I would recommend. If you have um, if you have a, a child in, in the juvenile justice system, or if you have friends who have kids in the juvenile justice system, I would even say if you have a rebellious teen that you don't know what to do with, mm-hmm. this podcast is unbelievably good because she just talks through the parenting angles, the pain. Uh, it offers support she's got piles of resources that she points people to 
And when you go into the criminal justice system for juveniles, there is no official uh, information place for you to find really? out. Yeah. How do I find out how to get an attorney? How do I find out what the charges are? Yeah. How do I find out what's going to happen next? There's like no clear way to do that. And so uh, she helps answer all of those questions. And it's just exceptionally well done. That's incredible. Yeah. I hate to break it to you. I think those numbers might check out. You could actually physically be her father, uh, you know, age wise. Well, hey, but. I'm not arguing it. I just, it just, it just was, uh, man, I'm old. Gotcha. Okay. I, I wasn't arguing. Okay. That. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know. It was, uh, it was a painful recognition. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content, as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. John, let's kick it back to you, and I want to kick, I want us to finish this episode with three uh, so what's about this, three things to keep in mind uh, from this principle or ways to apply this in our lives. Sure. So uh, one that comes to mind, and we've talked about this before, these are kind of recurring themes, uh, is this concept of living not by lies. Is It's, it's uh, the, the title of a book, or yeah. live, live, live Not By live Lies. Live Not Lies, is that Live it? Not By Lies. Not By Lies. Anyway. It's the lifestyle, the practice of not accepting mistruths. And uh, so oftentimes it is in physically not accepting it. If you're in a conversation, you either steer it differently or if you're in a large setting, like if you're in a conference and the speaker the, at the the stage is, you know, propagating things that violate obvious truths in this case. In this yeah. Example. Then you would get up and, and actually and actually vacate. And this is huge for me because uh, I'm just such a coward with things like this, especially mm. with with relationships and people. Uh, so this was very big to actually stand on something. And especially, you know, the, the postmodern world is the post-truth world. Right. You know, so it's we're in we're in a world There's my truth and your truth. It's a it's a whole uh, lifestyle of subjectivity. Yeah. A whole uh People live subjectively like, you know, it's a, it's a subversion of truth. So this is a lifestyle is one. And that becomes the ultimate violation is to, is to tell me not to do that. Yeah. Cause you're violating the law of subjectivity. Yeah. You're claiming objectivity in my subjective truth. Right. So, and this is, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to poke fun at the, the uh, caricatured leftist kind of thing, the Mm -hmm. my truth thing. Cause this was, you know, this wasn't me as far as being dignified or indignant about you trampling my truth. I refused to step on other people's truth, even when it was for their good, because right. I was a coward right. because I'm, and I still do, you know, I'm not, I didn't have a Damascus road. Now I'm a warrior <laughs> who will tell people anything, you know, but I'm trying. So, 
So really, it was, it was about uh, self-preservation, and it was about not loving people enough. This is what this was about. Yeah. It is about my this struggle. Your struggle with not living by lies. Right. So when we talk about truth, and this conversation is about obvious truth, but when we talk about truth in general, it is about things that you take very seriously. And I've held these beliefs close to my, you know, I've held them seriously my whole life, but I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like, I never almost with all things, I try and downplay them for the sake of one, my own mental health. So I don't get overwhelmed and two, for the sake of cohesion with other people. And so this wouldn't be, you know, all, all the things that I say here and hopefully everywhere in my life is, uh, is, you know, scripture adjacent. So obviously if you're talking to a druggie and he's talking about how he sees God when he's on shrooms, don't get up and leave. You don't need to leave that conversation because that guy's obviously out of his mind. Like right, that's not, that's right. not the point. It's if you're in a Nor room, do you have to rebuke him and cast exactly, devils out of him. Exactly. You don't have to speak truth and, and try and wreck this guy's life. Like on the sidewalk, you know? Right. Uh, but if you're in, if you're talking to another Christian and they say, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I, you know, me and my wife lived together for three years before we got married, but we were married in our hearts. So it's, you know, it's okay. Right. Right. You would say, well, that's not really how that works though. Isn't it? You weren't, you weren't married as far as the state's concerned, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so to me immediately I go, well, that sounds like a rude thing to say. And yeah, it is, it is technically a rude thing to say. And I, that would I, depend on the nature of the relationship and why you would say it. Yeah. Um, you know, again, scripture is helpful there let nothing no one else from speak come out of your mouth but only what's useful that edifies those who hear it yeah true so are, would you be saying that for their good or would you be saying that for their correction their rebuke um and if it is for rebuke what's what do you hope the outcome of that is and so um that can get complicated i think the way you've lived this out that's inspired me is to simply vacate the space if uh if if lie if truth is being suppressed and lies are being lived mm-hmm um, so when there's gossip or slander taking place, just withdraw, change the subject or walk away, uh, in a room where someone is propagating a lie or suppressing truth, very clearly suppressing truth that you know to be true, then just vacate the premises. I think that's really helpful for me because it gives me at least the first step of what to do rather than to sit there and be complicit by my participation or by my presence yeah and what i like about that and i still i get conflicted because i think well wouldn't the the most truthful thing to do would be to say hey this isn't right in in a and in a group it's especially talk about talk about frightening so it it at least gives you a way to to not be a part of it uh and still not you know yeah even better especially if if that would damage relationships yeah you know even more if it was slander or gossip you could uh choose another approach which would be hey i know that person and i know that they are really a great person mm. so if this was true i'm sure it was uh i'm sure there was a, a big story around it i'm sure there's some context that's that i would be helpful for us to understand this but i gotta tell you i like that person and i believe in them yeah that right there could shut it down right and you're not criticizing them you're affirming the person they're talking about yeah and actually and actually maybe undoing some damage has been done on their name yeah or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. The second thing, and, and this is uh, really simple. I, I feel like it's what we did in the first half of this episode is just to encourage um, a, a more awareness in ourselves of, am I suppressing truth to get where I want to go? Mm. Am I mm-hmm. suppressing truth to believe that as I think about a solution to a complicated problem, am I having to suppress some truth to make that problem the right solution? And I like this because it gives me 
a higher degree of wisdom in personal navigation. So uh, my urging would be stay aware, uh, you know, because they say, well, that just doesn't pass the sniff test, man. I mean, that's <laughs> that that I mean, you can just see that that ain't yeah, right. Yeah. Well, when you feel that way, recognize that hit pause and go, what is it that's being suppressed here? Because this doesn't feel right. Mm. And if it takes an extraordinary amount of gymnastics to get to that principle, it probably is way too complicated to be accurate. Yeah. So it's to me, uh, the, the, the encouragement is to have a heightened awareness about this so that you can navigate complicated situations wiser. Yeah. No, I love that. All right. Last one. The last one is, uh, I really wanted to emphasize in the first half and it's, it's tricky because a lot of these examples are, uh, conflicted examples. It's, it's examples where it's very divisive. So I didn't want this again to be a, a piling on thing or a, uh, when we say the obvious, you know, inherently, it's what we think is obvious. And there's a lot of people who think other things are obvious. Right. So uh, this is something we talked about weeks ago now. And it is not the the phrase again. It's almost like live not by lies. It's a, it's a particularly worded phrase. But it's uh, do not ascribe malevolence to people where ignorance will suffice. Yeah. So uh, someone is doing something that either... Suppresses uh, truth, suppresses truth, or uh, insults you, or uh, insults your sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you or you, that you simply disagree with, you feel defensive about. Rather than saying, "Well, those people are out to get me and mine. They're out they're to out get to what ruin I love. the world. They're out to hurt my life. They're out to destroy us. Whatever." Uh, instead of doing that, you instead ascribe ignorance to them. Well, they don't. They don't know better. They don't know God. They don't know Jesus. They don't. You know. And it's not to say even that like you have a Democrat neighbor and you go, well, they must not know Jesus. It's not, you know, it's not that uh, this is this is powers and principalities. This this is authorities over you. This yes. is people on the other side of the planet. This is, you know, different than that. So it is it's just giving it's it's trying to uh, give as much humanity to everybody that you can even conceptualize in your brain as as is possible. And one of the ways I've learned to do that is to ask myself this question. How could somebody who is kind and smart and dignified do that? Mm-hmm. And I start trying to think of what would make them do that. What would make a kind, smart, dignified person do that? And I start to realize, well, for example, somebody who's driving like a maniac on the road. Mm. Or they flip you off when they drive by because you were driving <laughs> too slow. Sure. What would make a kind, dignified human being do that? Well, um, the wife's in the back giving birth and he's got to get to the hospital or uh, he just got fired or he just found out he has cancer. Mm. You know, you can start to realize, man, there's a lot of reasons that a smart, dignified, intelligent person might behave that way. And it helps you to give grace yeah. rather, than, rather than ascribe malevolence. Yeah. And that goes past ignorance to to, to pain and, and yeah. lashing out. And uh, but it's, it is the same thing. It, it is the same as giving them uh, grace, grace mm. that we give to ourselves for all free the all the time <laughs> we, but we and we expect people to give it to us yeah but we don't hand it out very uh, that freely. saying is we judge everyone else by their actions we judge ourselves by our intentions, by our intentions yeah. yeah exactly so uh none of this is ever we're never trying to arm you to the teeth so that you can you know take your neighbor Beat to court yeah. yeah uh this is a navigational defensive yeah tool yep yeah all right hey we are super grateful for you listening today as always, uh, pass, pass it on to a friend if it's helpful to you. Uh, you can email us at info at jimandjohn.com, no H in the John. Find us on Instagram, Jim and John. 
What else, John? Uh, that about does it. Uh, Patreon.com slash Jim and John if you want to yep. support us there. Uh, and yeah, we would just uh, love to hear from you. And again, if this, if you feel uh, not, again, not. If you got yeah butts. If you got a big butt, tell us about it. <laughs> if you, tell us about your yeah butts. But also, <laughs> if you have someone in mind for this and not as a, hey, you, you got to hear this. Yeah. But as a, uh, we were just talking about this. I, was, I thought about you when I listened to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, show it to them and, and yeah, just let us know. Any thoughts you got? We'd love to love, love to hear it. it. All right. Have a great day. Thank you.